there, not just for ourselves, but for uh, the children and the volunteers helping us out uh, down there. Uh, we thank you. Uh, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for uh, your grace, the grace that we have to open up your word. We pray that as uh, at CFC Kids Ministry downstairs, as they open your word, that it would be taught with clarity, that our children would grasp it in a way that uh, stays with them, and that you would water those seeds over time, Father, so that they would flourish in, in the faith. Uh, we pray that nothing different would happen here, uh, that we would open uh, your word and be open to it, uh, that your word would speak to us, that we would learn from it. Um, and we need your grace for that, Father, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're continuing our series through this dense, wonderful, profound, theologically rich letter. And now Paul turns a corner and starts getting into application. But interestingly, before he gets too applicational, too specific, practical, which he's going to today. Now I'm not punting this to next week. It gets very practical today. But he speaks about an attitude, and it's an attitude of humility. Um, I think we struggle with understanding what humility really is, and this passage is going to help us with it. Sometimes when we think of humility, we think of an ultra-meekness, quietness. If somebody asserts anything at all, that's cocky. If somebody uh, corrects you, they're arrogant. Uh, how dare you judge me? Um, if somebody says, I'll be a leader, they must... Not, they must lack humility. Who would want to be at the top? Um, but interestingly, uh, the most humble person who ever lived, we're told, is Moses, <laughs> who didn't have the greatest track record. Um, he was reluctant, but it wasn't a, a reluctance of humility in the beginning, but rather a lack of faith. Uh, we think of Jesus as a model, and Jesus, of course, he has his tender moments. He has his moments where we're like, yes, that is, of course, that is, uh, that is humility, but, you know, then he's making a whip of cords and running people out of the temple, we don't necessarily associate that with humility, but of course it must be. And so I think we need to rethink humility in order to be humble, in order to be humble ourselves. He talked about the need for our minds to be renewed, remember that? So we need our minds to be renewed with regard to humility. And this is weighty, it's important. Look at verse 3, he's going to use his apostolic authority, right? This is a command. This isn't an option. Some Christians are humble. If you're a believer, if you're a saint, if you're in Christ, this is something you have to take seriously. He says in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, there's his humility there. He's not just throwing the apostle title around, but it's, it's something that's been given to him that he passes on to us. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, that's going to be really important as we press through this passage. We have a sort of natural instinct to apply Scripture really well to people sitting next to us. And not necessarily to ourselves. Every one of us is to receive this. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself, of course, more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
the command, the charge, with all of his authority behind it. But what God has given him the grace to say to Christians in Rome and Itasca, it's to not think too highly of ourselves. To not think more highly than we ought to think. The actual word that he uses there is to not hyperthink yourself. Now, you notice he doesn't say the solution to that is to think lowly of yourself. The solution to too high of an esteem of yourself is to absolutely obliterate any self-esteem whatsoever. No, it's to appropriately place that esteem. So when he contrasts overthinking, he doesn't contrast that with underthinking, but right thinking. Uh, It says sober judgment there, but that's a way to translate a word that really means moderate, you know, modest, not too high, not too low, just right, just right. And so actually, it's not humility to walk around going, I stink at that, I should never do anything because it's never going to be the best. And That's underthinking, that's not sober thinking. But nor should we be going around like, I'll do it, no one can top me at that. Or when someone else does something, our immediate thought is, how come they didn't ask me? Well, that's overthinking. There are other people that can do things. And so he doesn't want us to hyperthink, and he knows that we're given to hyperthinking, but he doesn't give us the solution of underthinking because that's also a false brand of humility. That's not humility. That's still wrong thinking. He doesn't want to think right, wrongly. He wants to think rightly. And so we need a renewed mind to do that. What does humility look like? Well, we need to embrace humility, but we need to embrace humility by thinking rightly about ourselves, soberly about ourselves, not drunk on pride or an overestimation of ourselves. But not the other way either where we just don't see any, any grace given to us at all. God has not done anything for me at all that's worth anything at all. That's far from the truth. Because every single one of you who is in Christ has been given a grace just like Paul has. Now, it looks different. We don't write scripture. We don't walk around planting churches with apostolic authority. No, but we have a derived value, just like Paul said at the beginning of verse 3. Not, I tell you because of my inherent authority, but I've been given a grace extrinsic to me, outside of me, it's been given to me, and that's why I can say this, and that's how he applies right thinking about yourself. You, you have value, not because you have value, that's overestimating yourself, but you've been given something valuable. You've been given value. Our value, we're made in the image of somebody else, in case that's news to you. And so we have a derived value. That's still value. But when it's, when it's cut off from the one who gives us the value, we're already in a lane that is thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think. Instead, we think with a sober judgment. We don't overmeasure ourselves overestimate ourselves you know when you are uh, a shorter guy like me every time you go for the doctor checkup and they put you in the height thing you're kind of like you're just tempted to like give it a little cheat 
Suppose you get older, start shrinking, your son is surpassing you, and he lets you know it. Um, I tell him it's his hair. Um, you jump on the scale, you kind of want to cheat, you're like, wait, 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 let me, let me use the restroom, then let me go to the scale again. Because we, want, we don't want the accurate measurement, we, there's a number we're after, right? So that's why he says not to hyperthink, to not go over the measurement. Well, then what's the measure then? And that's why he uses the word measure in the next line. Don't overthink, don't overestimate, don't overmeasure, but use a sober measurement, a moderate measurement, an objective, realistic one, each according to the measure of faith that God has measured to you. It says a sign there, but really the, the words share a, a, a root. See, God is a portion to you, a portion, measure to you, a measure, and that's the measure you're supposed to use to evaluate yourself. That's appropriate humility. And so each person, he says, everyone in verse 3, this addresses everyone in the congregation. And then each person, everyone in the congregation, needs to measure themselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now there's a couple ways to take this measure of faith, and I probably spent most of my time on this, kind of rubbing my head, thinking... It looks like he's saying we get different measures of faith. Some of us have a lot of faith. Some of us have medium faith. Some of us have small faith. And then some have petite, extra small, toddler faith, right? And that, the reason why that doesn't sit right with me is, of course, maybe some have greater faith than others. It's not that that's not true, but to connect that to what he's saying here makes it sound like if you have this much faith, you get this spiritual gift, because he's going to go into those specific assignments in a moment. And if you have little faith, you get a little gift. And it doesn't seem like that's where he's going. If that is where he's going, we have to allow it, because it's Scripture. We can't just push it into the corner that we want it to be in. But it doesn't match the rest. Here are the two options that I think make the best sense of this, this idea of measuring ourselves against the measure of faith, using the measure of faith as the way to not hyperthink ourselves. And one option is to take the word faith and the word measure really as the same thing. It's the same thing. Uh, if, and Scripture does this all the time. We do this in English too, but you know, if, you, if you're reading about the land of Egypt, you're not like, there's a land, and then there's also Egypt. The land of Egypt is Egypt is the land, right? The sign of circumcision. There's not a sign, and I wonder what circumcision is then. Circumcision is the sign. So the word of doesn't mean that one thing is a smaller piece of a bigger thing. They're the same thing. The breastplate of righteousness. There's not righteousness, and one part of the, the righteousness is breastplate. He's equating the two things. So we use this. We do this in English. We see it all the time in English translations to see the same thing, uh, the two words, as the same thing. Why am I going into that? Because if that's what's happening here, he's not saying a small amount of faith. He's saying faith that is the measuring rod. Not a portion of the pie, but it is the, pie. it is the thing. It is the measure that we measure ourselves against. In other words, you would see this as something that you derive from God by faith. That's why this applies to Christians, not non-Christians. We're not talking about natural talents. We're not talking about the knack that you had when you were a kid. Your father was good at it. You're good at doing that same thing. We're not talking about natural abilities. We're talking about something that is apportioned to you by God as a Christian, and you got that by faith. 
And if you recognize that the, the measure is faith, not skill, faith, not inherent value, then that helps us to not overthink and recognize I operate in the way I operate and I'm good at the things I'm good at because of faith. I think that's a possibility and I don't think maybe both of these options are true, but here's the other option. It might mean a portion of faith and probably the reason why I think it leans that way is because it says that uh, each according to the measure of faith that God measured to you. It, it seems like an individualistic, here's your portion, here's your portion, here's your portion. And I think that's okay as long as we don't see it as different size portions or different value propositions behind those portions. You see what I'm saying? Let me give you an example, all right? And this is kind of a weak example because I don't really own that many tools. And for some reason, I, this is just what came to me. But imagine I'm writing out my will. If something happens to me, I'm going to give across my four children all my tools, all, all four of them, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a joke. I have more than four tools. Anyway, um, I'm not that handy, but I do have some tools. But let's say I give those tools out in equal amounts, okay? If I have 40 tools, you get 10, you get 10, you get 10, you get 10, all right? in equal amounts, and let's say if you put a dollar amount on each of those portions of 10 tools, or whatever the amount, let's say it comes out to roughly the equal, equal value. So one didn't get more tools than another kid, and one didn't get better tools than another kid, but they did get different portions among the tools in my chest of tools. Somebody got a hammer, but somebody else didn't get a hammer. They got a screwdriver. But that, guy, that kid didn't get a screwdriver. This kid is going to be able to work on cars, but this kid's only going to be, be able to work in the kitchen. They're not better than each other, but they're different from each other. Portion doesn't mean different sizes. If I have a pie and I split it, I'm just going to use how everyone else splits pies except for the Chicago area, into triangles, okay? And they're equal size triangles. I can still say, I gave you a portion, I gave you a portion, I gave you a portion. Everybody got a slice. But if I'm really good at it, I gave equal slices. And if you have kids, you got really good at equally slicing stuff. <laughs> because kids have an eye, just, just look at it. That one's way taller. That one's way bigger. That one has more cheese. We would run into problems if the thing that Paul is after is to say that some assignments are better than other assignments. The reason why that would be a problem is humility. He doesn't want us to prop ourselves up and go, I have the car tools. You just got the house tools. No, that's the opposite of what he's saying. What he's saying in this chapter, in this opening paragraph of the application section, he's like, we're going to talk about gifts and we're going to talk about service. But before we do that, we have to talk about humility. And so when he says that the real measure of standard that you're going to use is to recognize that this is a portion from faith. It's not a portion from skill. It's something that is from God. God apportioned it to you. You didn't walk up to a shelf and go, you know what? I'll take that one. God says, you, you get this one. What about that one? I said this one. Just like you can't argue much with a will. Why do you give me the vehicle tools? I don't know. Well, hopefully, maybe the will explains it, but maybe it doesn't. But guess what you got? <laughs> and so he doesn't want you to think competitively with your siblings in church, but the opposite. 
to recognize that you might feel like you should be doing something else, you might feel like you shouldn't be doing something at all, but you do what has been assigned to you. And you do it that way in humility because you recognize it's from faith, and you recognize that it is assigned by God himself. He has assigned it to you. Now here's something I really want you to notice. You ever read the Bible and you're reading a verse and you're like, man, I wouldn't have written it that way. That's opposite of how I would have written it. You would think, I would think, that what he would say is, guys, you need to be humble in order to serve. If you're arrogant, I don't want you serving. You need to be humble first, step one, in order to, step two, serve. That's not what he says. Interestingly, he says, you need to be humble because you serve. That's a difference, right? In the first instance, he'd be saying, I need you guys to be humble so that after being humble, you can serve. After being humble, you can have a gift, an assignment. But that's not what he says. It's the reverse. Because you have an assignment, that should prompt the humility in you that you should have. A measured out, apportioned assignment that comes from faith, when you recognize you have that, that's going to produce the humility in you that you're supposed to have. How do I know that? Well, even though he starts with humility, he actually starts with grace being given in verse 3. Grace is given to me, so I tell you, you need to be humble, not to overthink yourselves. And then verse 4, for... Here's the reason, or because, here's why I said verse 3. Here's the grounding for verse 3, not the result. This verse 4 produces verse 3. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So it's like I write at the bottom of the will, I need you guys to get along. I need you guys to work with each other because I haven't given any one of you all the tools. The reason why you have to swallow humility and kill the pride is because you have to. And the reason why you have to is because you don't have all the tools. If you need work on your car, you need to call your brother. If you need work on the plumbing, you need to call your sister. I apportion the tools so that you have to work together. You have to operate as a unit. And once you recognize you belong to a unit, and you belong to that unit through this apportioned faith that comes out in a, in a gift, an assignment, then you are moving into a place where you're ready to accept the kind of humility, the kind of somber, sober, appropriate thinking of ourselves that we're supposed to. He says that we think, we need to think humbly of ourselves because our gifts differ, and we need that. See? We need that. I might feel like I'm strong in the Word. I might feel like I have good, solid education Some of you might feel like you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. And I tell you, if you're a believer in Christ, I need you as much as you need me. I'm not better than you. 
And I, it would be the height of arrogance. I would certainly be overthinking myself if I thought, I'm good. I'm good. I, I have whatever, teaching as a gift. No, we are one body, verse 4. And in one body, we have many members. And within that one body that has many members, all the members don't have the same function. So though we, though we're many, we're one. We're one in Christ, and we're individually members one of another. Have you ever been tempted to see your relationship with God as, I belong to Christ, but not so much on, I belong to the people next to me? This solo relationship with God, I try to emphasize when we take communion. It's communion this way and this way. Now, you have atheistic congregations that are becoming more popular, if I understand it right, where they're like, man, we miss fellowship. When we, back when we deconstructed our faith and we left church, we missed the potlucks, we missed the softball leagues, we missed getting together, talking about beliefs and thoughts and values, we missed raising our kids in community. Can we get that without the God piece? So they created atheistic congregations. Now that's community this way, not this way. But oftentimes, churches are tempted to go the opposite extreme where we have isolated one-on-one, me and God, and this way, eh. Somebody bothers me at church, skip it, go to another church. Somebody bothers me in this aisle, I'll sit on the other aisle. I just won't go to church today. We're really good at dodging people, thinking that we're okay this way. When the Lord told us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This, This horizontal piece tied to the vertical piece is all over Scripture. And what Paul is saying is if we live in a mode where we're just like, it's just me and you, God, and we don't value other people in our lives, that we're part of this unit, that's arrogance. That's overthinking ourselves. We are part of one body. We are one body in Christ, verse 5. But we have different functions. We don't all have the same function. And so because of that, we are individually members of one another. That does take humility, doesn't it? It takes humility to get along with our own siblings, flesh and blood siblings. And in church, we got people from different backgrounds. A lot of us spoke different languages or or speak different languages before learning English. We're different ages, we live in different places, we like different things, but you'll notice that we're not brought together by affinity. This is not, we don't put on the front, this is the, you know, the football church, this is, I wouldn't have been hired if it was that overt, you know, this is the hockey church, this is the, because our, our unity is not the things that we like. Our unity is how we became forgiven people. We are one in Christ. And that should go beyond any other bounds and barriers. We don't all have the same function. We're in Christ in a variegated way. We have different functions, different assignments, different portions of this faith. And therefore, we need each other. We are members, not just of Christ but we are individually members 
one of another. See that? My wife is really involved. I'm good. Individually, man. Each of us, if we're in Christ, we play a role in the body. You can't ride the coattails of somebody else. You can't say, I served four years ago. I used to do stuff. We are individually members of this body. Just like any morning you wake up and your foot's asleep, you're hoping feeling starts coming back. And if it doesn't, you're going to the hospital. Because parts can't just check out. Right? When the rest of the body needs it. And so we... We don't just belong to Christ, we belong to the rest of the body that is in Christ. And so we are individually, verse 5, individually members one of another. And so Paul is killing arrogance and promoting humility by explaining what humility actually looks like. And so he, he pushes against two uh, temptations that we have, I think, as Christians. One of them is a kind of false humility that would say, uh, I don't, I don't want to help. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be that person. I'm not going to be good at it. People depending on me, I got to show up. What if I'm not on time? What if I mess up? What if I don't do it the best? Then I'm disappointing people. Blah, 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 blah. If you're reluctant to help, you're disobeying Scripture. And you might cast it in a way that sounds humble. Oh, I'm just, I'm too, I don't really, I'm not really good at anything. Got to be good at something. Something. Maybe we haven't discovered it yet. Maybe we, ha- we can chisel it. Maybe we can train it. Maybe we can throw some training at it. But, but nothing? Nothing at all? That's not humility. That's actually arrogance. That's overthinking yourself. Another way to overthink ourselves, obviously, is I'm too good to receive. One person is reluctant to help. Some people are reluctant to receive. And so when other people in the body offer things, we're like, nah, I'll pass. I don't need that. We see it as turning down options that a church rolls out. It's kind of like when you go to Portillo's, you're like, I'll take the hot dog, I won't take the fries. I'll take the fries, but I won't dip it in cheese. I'll do the thing, the, the beef, but I won't dip it. Options, right? And we come to church, we're like, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll receive the gifting from this person's assignment, but I won't receive the gifting from that person's assignment. Folks, this is why I, I try to share the pulpit. This is not the Lucas show. Have other people been given an assignment to teach? Yes. Well, then that means I need to get out of the way sometimes. But that also means that, I don't know, if you hear through the grapevine, I don't, this hasn't happened that I know of, but if you hear through the grapevine, ah, oh, Lucas isn't on today. Hmm, I'll stay home. Don't do that. Don't do that. We need each other. We don't just need the things that we say we need or the things that we think we need. And we kind of, oh, I'll pass on that. I'll pass on the vegetables. I'm just going to eat fries. You, you, you can't look at the church like a menu of things that you want, don't want, need, don't need. But instead, you see it as a body and say, man, a, a group of people have been gifted in this way, and I don't receive from that gifting. Why not? Let me receive from that. I'm not going to give a specific example because I don't, I don't know if that's you. I don't know if that's you. But I know sometimes we are tempted to check out 
We check out because we don't want to serve or we check out because we don't want to be served. And both of those kinds of people can easily skip church. If people aren't depending on me to serve up anything, I can just skip. Not going to hurt anything. And if I'm reluctant to receive anything, then it doesn't hurt me if I skip. See? So I can be an anonymous Christian if I don't serve and I'm not served. When I cut my ties with both serving and the thought of being served, both together, then I can skip church easily. I'm not talking about when you're sick and you can't go to church and your car doesn't start. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But it's the ease with which we can be tempted to just neglect this, the interaction we have with each other. COVID didn't help us with that. With people realizing, oh, we could do online. You can watch online. You can't do church online. You know what church means? It's a gathering. It's a gathering of people. It's an assembly throughout Scripture. A congregation congregates, not podcasts. This requires an incarnational, in-person, involved kind of church community. Otherwise, the whole passage doesn't make sense. If we can quickly, easily detach from each other, that's because we don't need each other. But this is saying the opposite. We actually very much need each other so that if for some reason, for some season, I I can't participate, it hurts me. I'm hurting. The body is hurting. It's limping without the hand. And I'm hurting because I'm a hand and I can't see, I can't smell, I can't taste. We need each other. And God has designed it that way. I wish this paragraph was 70 verses long. I want to know how did he design it that way? I want to know how do you know that you have enough variation among the tools to operate a good house? I don't know, but I think in his providence, he's like, I'll take care of that. What I need you to worry about is your role, your participation, receiving the gifts of others and participating in your gift to serve others. Worry about that and God will take care of whom to assign Which gifts? So he makes it very clear. If we're going to be humble and not overthink ourselves, we need to serve one another with this humility according to our gifts. He gives us some examples here real quickly. Verse 6 and following. Having gifts that differ. He said it's different functions, right? We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Remember that from verse 3? It's not just Paul. We receive. And having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. There's a second command. The first command is be humble, guys. The second command is once, you know, in that humility, recognizing uh, you have a role to serve, that's what prompts the humility. And if you recognize the role you serve that prompts your humility, now you can humbly serve. You serve in that humility. That's That's how we get our humility, recognizing other people need me. Well, don't just recognize it theologically. Don't just nod in the sermon. Don't just fist bump the pastor afterwards. Do it. Get involved. Roll up your sleeves. And don't make excuses because we're theologically grounded. Now, we might stumble along the way. Do I I sometimes preach a sermon? I go home like, 
was, I just don't, can we just delete that from the internet? But then what do you do the next week? You do it. You learn from it and you get better. None of this here requires that we operate perfectly, that we never mess up, that we sometimes don't misstep, but that we use what we're given. You don't want to bury your talents. Not that this parable is specifically about spiritual gifts, but I think it applies when the master returns and one servant just buried it. I didn't want to lose it, so I just sat on it. And he called them wicked and lazy. We don't want to be any of those things. That means get to work and stop making excuses, which is all that guy had. Oh, the economy, you're a hard, I know you're, you're going to pull out the books and, and check the entire QuickBooks sheet and the P&L. And I just didn't want to mess with that, so I just sat on it. I, gave you, I didn't lose it, though. I gave it back to you just the way you gave it to me. I didn't give it to you to sit on it. I gave it to you to use it. Anything else is wicked or lazy. So he says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Here's some examples. If prophecy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. Use it in the teaching. Use that teaching gift to teach. Verse 8, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now let me give you a few clarifications. Like I said, I mean, we can unpack this and spend 20 minutes on each particular verse and what it means, what it doesn't mean, and maybe we can do some of that in our small groups. But I want to give some clarifications of what it's not saying. First, it's not an exhaustive list. If you're like, I don't have any of these, where, where am I? It's not an exhaustive list. There are other lists where he goes into other gifts, and I don't think those gifts, or those lists are exhaustive either. By exhaustive, I mean a complete list. So you don't look at this, you're like, I have to have one of these. It must be one of these. Maybe not. Maybe not. They overlap a little bit. We get other gifts in other passages, so he's clearly not trying to check off every single gift that exists, and that's okay. He's giving you examples. He's giving you examples. Maybe it's not one of these, but you get what he's trying to say. He's trying to say you serve in this way. The other clarification I think is important, not just that it's not an exhaustive list, but if we're going to serve humbly, if we're going to serve one another in humility, we also need to recognize that uh, this list is not exclusive to what he's saying. Let me, let me clarify. When he says that the person who uh, contributes, verse 8, should contribute generously, does that mean the person who has the gift of mercy should give out the gift of mercy stingily? No, no, no. I'm not supposed to be generous with my gift. The generous person is supposed to be the money giver. That person is supposed to be generous, but I can be, I can be really selective with whom I serve. That's a misreading of the text. The person who's supposed to give acts of mercy, they're supposed to do it with cheer. Does that mean the person who contributes can do it grumpily? Oh, I'm supposed to be generous, right? No, we have Paul, when he writes the Corinthians, says to do it cheerfully. So he, he's not saying, this person does it this way. Everybody else don't worry about being cheerful. Only that person is cheerful. This list, it, it, it overlaps. His point is not, here's the specific way you do each specific gift, and let me give you every specific gift that exists. His point is, whatever God has apportioned to you, do it, and do it with oomph. Have at it. 
If you're going to teach, don't worry too much about, is there coffee ready? Is the seat warm? Like, teach, right? If you're going to give, give. If you've been especially equipped to give, then really give. Don't give in a way that it's bigger to people next to you that have much smaller incomes. Give in a way that hurts your account. It's generous to your standard, not to other people's standards. Give. If you say you've got the act of, you, you have gifts of mercy and you want to show mercy to people, then it should be done with a, a kind of cheerfulness so that you're giving mercy, not making the person feel terrible that they have to receive this from you but that they can see, hey, this makes me happy that I'm able to do this for you, and then they can really receive the mercy. But that doesn't mean every other gift is done with a mercilessness. <laughs> he wants us to do it with zeal. The one who leads, leads with zeal. And of course, the gifts overlap too. Does a leader not teach? Should someone who exhort, I'm exhorting, ooh, but that crossed into the teaching lane. Maybe there's context where we need to think about that. We don't want to isolate these categories to the point where only leaders can do their stuff zealously, uh, but they don't have to do it cheerfully. And that doesn't make sense. So we want to take the whole list, and rather than itemizing it and spending so much time unpacking each individual item, I think what he's trying to do is present you a, a, a whole to strike home the point that you have been apportioned something and you've got to use it fully, use it earnestly, use it thoughtfully as your mind is being renewed, as your humility is being shaped, you serve one another in particular ways that show that you're not griping about it, you're not half-stepping it, that you're all in. And this doesn't mean I only participate in my spiritual gift and I don't have to do anything else. I just preached, I'm not setting up a table. That'd be the quickest way to lower my credibility in a congregation. I just watch everybody else set up tables. Yeah, put, yeah you going to put that there? Yeah, that's good. That's good. No, I preached. I preached. Right? And I hope we don't do that either. I lead a small group, so you guys set it up. You know, that doesn't make sense. I set up tables, so I don't have to. No, it's cooperating together. But within that, we have specific lanes. That is our specific uh, assignment, a portion. Now, really quickly, I want to give some advice. This is not something that I can necessarily quote Scripture. It's not necessarily uh, from this passage. But I think we often think, okay, what is my spiritual gift then? And Paul doesn't say, you know, see my footnote for the spiritual gift survey that you can take. And as soon as you fill out the survey, you know what your spiritual gift is. Boom, you check the box and you get involved. So let me just quickly give you uh, what I might call some pastoral advice and how to be careful going about discovering your gift as long as we don't get lost in the weeds, we need to make sure we don't miss. God, God's intent through this passage is that we get involved, dependent on each other to receive from each other's gifts in ways that we give each other the benefit of our gifts. I often talk about finding your ace in the hole. Okay? Affirmation is, uh, A for affirmation is, um, you know, I think I'm good at something. But if people around you aren't going, yeah, I really receive from that, that might be, that might be a red flag. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, especially given the fact we can tend to overthink ourselves. I might think, this is my spiritual gift, but really I want that to be my spiritual gift because I think that's cool, or I think that's fun, or I'm really interested in that. 
or I'm mildly talented in it, but it's not necessarily a spiritual gift. And so we want to lean on the affirmation of others. Okay? Now, I want to caveat that because this is a very nice church. Most churches have very nice people in them. And oftentimes, people will give you a pat on the back and like, thank you for that. That was really nice. And we go, oh, there's the A. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. There are always going to be people that have kind things to say, but we have to be zealous to receive actual feedback. If I only listen to great sermon, pastor, great sermon, I'd never, I'd never try to fix what I'm doing wrong. So I've got to lean on other pastors, other preachers, people within the congregation. No, seriously, what do you think of this intro? Because I thought I bumbled it. I thought I, I thought I dropped it. Well, you know, here's you. You've got to invite real feedback, not just walk around glowing from pats on the back, which are nice, but we've got to find objective ways to really look at what we're doing to go, is this really effective? Is this really helping other people, or is it just something I want to do? Because if I get confused and I'm operating in the wrong lane, I might be given to a kind of false humility that's dangerous. I may not be actually helping. When the foot tries to act like the hand, they do it at CrossFit all the time. I, don't, I mean, I don't do it, but it's awkward, and it's difficult. Why? Because the hand is not designed to walk on. So we want to operate in the way that we've been assigned and not some other lane. A is affirmation. C is, um, what is C? Competence. Competence. Um, you can have a passion for something, but not necessarily be good at it. Conversely, E is enthusiasm or enjoyment. And some of you can attest to things that you're really good at, but you never really took it to where you could have taken it because you just don't like it. You were really good at piano, and your parents really wanted you to pay, play piano all day long. They imagined in their minds the pianist you could have been that they now were able to, you sitting up there in your little suit playing in front of a, a huge crowd, but you hate it. And so you were good at piano, but you didn't want to put in the hours to play piano. You just didn't, didn't have it in you. For whatever reason, you just don't like it, right? I don't think God is going to apportion us gifting, make me teach every Sunday, and I hate it. That would be rough. Now, there are days where you're not going to feel like doing it. There are days where you're tired. There are days where you're reeling from some negative feedback. That's okay. But at the end of the day, usually I think it's something that people receive from and they affirm you like, yes, that's, I really helped by that. That's really good. You should continue training. You should continue developing that. That was helpful to me. And there's some objective standards that say, you know what? I am actually good at that. There's some object, not just my personal feeling or people's personal feelings, but we can look at some certain things that go, yes, I am hitting the notes. Because <laughs> you can have somebody that people are like, oh, really nice. And I'm like, oh, I love it. And they're just not hitting notes. It just sounds crazy. I'm using piano because we do not have that situation, brother. Excellent stuff. You can imagine how that doesn't help anybody. I love that the emphasis of this passage is humility because I think it takes humility to receive the kind of feedback we need to receive to discern the gift. It's not just filling out a survey online. It's actual real-life interaction with people and finding out, I'm good at this. I'm not so great at that. And that's okay. It takes humility to understand that. But the more we understand it, we understand that shaped hole in the congregation that I fill. 
Not because I'm hot stuff, but because of the grace that's been given to me. The body needs my participation as much as I need the participation of the body. That breeds humility. And so we don't want to just get involved because pastor is like, hey, we need to get involved. No, we do it because we don't want to be anonymous Christians floating around, detached, because that leads us into a place of overthinking ourselves. We want to embrace humility because we recognize we play a part. And it's an important one. And we need each other for it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for the grace that you've given us. We recognize that sometimes it's difficult to determine what specifically is that grace. Uh, maybe sometimes we try to be too specific. I, I don't know, but some of us are exhorters, and some of us are really good at mercy, and some of us are really good at serving one another. Some of us are good at teaching. Some of us are meant to be leaders, and, and on and on the list can go, but we pray that we would do it uh, with zeal, with cheer, with um, energy, with humility overall, recognizing that uh, you've given this to us, not for ourselves, but for the benefit of those around us, Lord. May we continue to grow as that kind of church, church that depends on each other, needs one another. We recognize that we are members of one another. As we close in this song, Father, may you remind us that all of this comes from you. All of this is uh, driven by faith and is given by grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.